Last week we uh, started with a message called The Father's Embrace, seeing it was Father's Day. We spoke about the story of the prodigal son. It's actually the parable of the prodigal son, should I say. They say commentators and even uh, unbelievers, uh, scholars, they say it's probably one of the most famous pieces of literature in the world. It's one of the most known pieces of literature. Yet the Bible never calls it the story or the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus said there was a certain man with two sons. And the first son was the lost son. We went over that last week. I encourage you to go listen to it. If you struggle with shame, go listen to it. Because we are dealing with a culture here, and it's one of the most in-depth cultural understandings that we need to have as a parable to really understand how the people who were there, how they heard it as Jewish men, what it meant for them, all the different intricacies of the culture. And we went into some of that last week. But it was a shame and honor society. Everything was shame or honor, and that's a very big deal for them. It wasn't like our society. And so when Jesus was speaking to them, I believe with all my heart that he's trying to reveal the Father. That's why he, he, you know, he came to reveal the Father. He came to deal with sin, yes, to pay the price and the penalty for sin, but to remove the chasm between man and God to give us access to our Father as individuals, but also corporately. And so constantly you hear Jesus talking, saying that my kingdom is like this, my kingdom is like this. Why? Because the people of God at the time had become so disconnected from their father, so disconnected in religious rituals and religious things. They added on to the law. They had all these things that they were doing that God didn't even say. They had become so disconnected, they were celebrating the traditions of religious men versus who God was. And so Jesus has to come and reveal what his father's actually like. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And 91% of America, according to, I think it was Barnard Research Group in Baylor University, two professors wrote a book. 91% of this country don't believe in a God, in the father that looks anything like Jesus. And yet Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. It's pretty tragic. And we spoke a little bit about that. I encourage you to go listen to it, not because I preached it, but just to break some mindsets, to really break some mindsets. Jesus came to give us access. It's like, in our language, we would say, you know, he's, he's paying such a big price to give us access. It's like he's saying, my dad's not who you think. And I'm about to make a way for you to have access to him, but you're not going to have access if you think he's a tyrant. No one wants to partner with a tyrant. No one wants to partner with a harsh father. No one wants to partner with him. So he has to say, this is actually who he is. I have to show you who he is because it's costing me everything to give you access to him. Amen? Luke 15, verse 1 and 2, says this. says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. He spoke a parable of the lost sheep. Then he spoke the parable of the lost coin, which we touched on last week as well. Then he spoke the parable of the lost son. I say the lost sons, because they were both lost, which you will discover in a moment. And what was the, the parable of the lost son, the first son, the second son? What was it in response to? Because it colors what he's saying. It was in response to religious leaders who were disgusted at the way he loved sinners. To sit at a table, to have fellowship with sinners and tax collectors in that culture was saying, I have complete acceptance of you. And they didn't like that. 
They were so infatuated with the religious system, they forgot the heart of the God that they worshipped. They professed to know. They didn't know it. So the first son, again, I was going to recap, but basically the father went to the city gates every day to watch for his son. Because when he came home, they began to perform a ceremony called Kesaza, which was to shame him and to cut him off because of what he had done. And so father, the father, this father shamed himself, putting himself in place of the shame that was owed to his son. Because we have to understand that in the, in the book of Genesis 2.25, it says they were both naked and they felt no shame. There was no shame in the garden. The fall of man, first thing that came, they realized they were naked. In other words, first thing, shame. And in Hebrews it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the, the, he endured the cross, despising its shame. So when Jesus tells this parable of the Father in a shame and honor society, he's trying to reveal to people who profess to know God, you don't actually know him at all. And it wasn't just revealing the Father through teaching. He was revealing the Father through his life. That's why he went to the cross and despised the shame. Even in that statement, he's saying, this is what my Father's like. This is what my Father's like. A lot of people say Jesus loves us, but their perspective of the, of the Father is skewed, completely skewed. This week, that was my attempt at a recap. I want to talk to you about the second son. There's many sermons on the first son, very many, many, many sermons. The second son in this story, I personally, I find to be more tragic, and I find it to be more prevalent to this culture, because it's harder to diagnose a person who's outwardly doing the right thing but their heart is broken the heart is gone the heart is lost it's it's easier it's always easier to discover rebellion because you can see it it's difficult to find religion because you sometimes cannot see it and it's hard to fault someone who's technically doing the right thing hello who knows what i'm talking about okay only two of you well let's go somewhere the three of us I believe with all my heart that Jesus, as he was speaking to these Pharisees, these people, it says they complained, they were mad, they were upset at how Jesus sat at the table with his sinners. Now, these are religious leaders. The first son, he's addressing the people he's sitting with. The second son, he's addressing the people that were complaining. And I believe with all my heart that he's actually, it's deeper than just you know, there's some story. Obviously, it's Christ. There was no idle words. And he's addressing, I believe, the religious system. He's addressing religion. Now, when I say religion, religion has many different meanings. The Bible says pure religion is to look after orphans and widows. So, religion is not a bad word, but when I'm talking about religion, Colossians 2, I think the scripture might come up behind you, it talks about having an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. And so I, I define religion, just for the sake of this message, with as form but no life. It's like a corpse. It's there, but it's not alive. It's when we have structure, but no connection. There's no family. Structure, but no connection. It's when there's much activity, much activity, people busy being busy, but there's very little transformation. Or it's function apart from fellowship. And I find this to be prevalent in the first world 
in a major, major way. Um, the rebellious son, that's the first son, uh, never understood what made him a son. It wasn't his behavior, but his birth. Likewise, the religious son, that's the second son, never understood what made him a son. It was not his efforts nor his success, but his birth. To intimately know what made us sons, and that includes the woman because we are in Christ, okay? What made us sons is also what positions us to carry what only a true son can carry. Very important. Very important. So, and what is it that made us that? It's love, friends. It's love. For God so loved that he sent his son. It's love. Personally, before we read the story, I, I have been both. The story is very personal to me. I have been both sons. I, I really have. I was very good at being rebellious. My parents will tell you. I, did, I just did it with all my heart. And I did it well. So I was definitely the first son. And then I got saved. Radically saved. And it was awesome. And the things that plagued my outward life stopped. But the inward life, God had a lot of work to do. He had a lot of work to do. And I went from being the first son to the second son. Whereas before I was doing everything that I thought the world celebrated in my desire to please people, to please men, to impress, to prove. And then I just went to the second son. And I just did everything that I think, you don't realize it, you don't wake up thinking like this. But I started to do everything that the church culture that I was a part of, that they liked, that they wanted to see. To impress, to prove, to deep insecurity, but saved. But saved. And I've been both sons. Always wanting to prove. Always wanting to prove myself. Always wanting to reveal that I'm good at something. You know? And you can do that in the church, and you can do that in the world. And so my heart became desperately clouded by religion, by the system. <laughs> Desiring, like Paul. Paul says, I, I desire to advance beyond my peers. And he talked about in the traditions of my fathers. And he's talking about extra-biblical things that God never said. That's what captured his heart. All the stuff that wasn't from the Lord. And I see it in the church all the time. Obviously not here. We're amazing. But I, I just, I'm just kidding. I see it everywhere. I see it everywhere. There's something that is still yet to be changed. Yet we're saved. You know, the, the people in uh, the Israelites were set free from Egypt. But God had to take them, as we know, He had to take them through a process to get Egypt out of them. Why were they set free? To worship. But they were set free for a purpose. To enter promises. To enter Canaan. Because they couldn't get Egypt out of them, they never went into what God intended for them. I wrote it like this. They died as free men, saved men, but their children fought the battles that were meant for them. It's true. It's terribly sad. They escaped for a purpose. You see, the tragedy of them not entering Canaan really stains the victory of them escaping Egypt. Hello? Yeah. I see it in the church. And there's a, there's a desperation in my heart for, for God's people to know who He is, 
so they can demonstrate who he is. Not just power, but in the heart. So today I want to, we're going to read this parable, and I'm going to go over some, as much as many as we've got time for. That's why I had to define the word religion. Things that I have personally discovered, they're not these absolutes. It's from my heart, okay? And I'm making that clear because I'm saying some things that are not clear here, so you make up your own mind. And it's important because the Bible is everything to me. But what does religion do? What are some signs of religion? Let's go look at Luke 15. Can we just start in verse 25? We know what happened with the first son. It says, verse 25, Now his oldest son was in the field, so he was at work. Okay? That's, he was at work. He, was, he still had a long commute. So, his son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and, has, and because he has received him safe and sound, being the father, um, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you have never given me a young goat might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And so the father, he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And I know, obviously, the biblical meaning and the the most very important is salvation. That's what the first son is showing us. Salvation, justification, grace. The second son, I believe with all my heart, Jesus is speaking to those religious leaders. And the first thing we see is it says he heard music and dancing. Religion is joyless. It's joyless. It, it doesn't have a, a parameter for joy. It's like, what's all this music and dancing? This is church, you know. This is, the good news is a serious business, you know, to some people. The, the gospel, you know, it's, it should have, be filled with joy. But no, this is, this is church. This is, yeah, I say it in jest, but it's so true. People are more comfortable with, to express their joy in the world than they are in their own father's house. It makes me crazy. You know, this good news, this is serious stuff. This is, there's no smiling here. You know? And for thousands of years, actually, some, and for hundreds in different parts, that was literally not allowed. And, and there are people that fought battles, saints that fought battles to restore truth. To restore truth. Joy. You go do a study of anointing, Joy and oil in the Bible, you'll always find those three together. See, I, I've been blessed to be a part of seasons where God has moved powerfully. Not one time has it been without inexpressible joy. Joy. Fun. Actual fun. Laughter. Like actual doing, playing games and having fun. And God's in a good mood, friends. He's, he's really, he's happy. He's really quite happy. He's, he's not upset. He's not sad. 
He's, he's, you know, he's, not, he's not like you and I. He's, there's joy. You know, when the first revival broke out in Acts chapter 8, powerful revival. It says many were the sick and the lame and the demons, and that's great. Yeah, bring it. But then for me, the most powerful statement, it says, and there was joy in the entire city. I remember when I was probably, I don't know, 15, when South Africa won the Rugby World Cup. It's, there was joy in the city. My father took us out. My mother and father took us out. Milkshakes. I mean, they closed the streets down. There was, there was joy in the city because of sport, because we won a game. He's won death. And the church is, well, that's serious. No, it's exciting. It's a good news. And there should be joy. And when people feel bad to express joy next to their brothers and sisters, religion has taken hold of the heart. Yeah? Yes. Joy is so, so vital. Joy is your strength. You realize that? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we wonder the state of the church today. Well, you remove joy, you remove strength. It's no strength. Why? There's no joy. There's no excitement. There's, there's nothing to look forward to. Where's the joy? No, we got a church. We did a church. No. Where's the, come on. You know? Anyway, let's, let's move on. What does he say? He says he calls one of the servants and asks what these things meant. I mean, I think that's funny. I know the text is saying, why is there noise? But I, I just like it. It's almost like he, he was so not used to joy. What is that thing over there? What is that happiness? That's not allowed. But religion creates positional identity. That's what it does. It creates positional identity. You see, culturally, the first son, the eldest son, was supposed to co-host festivities. He was supposed to co-host with his father. So he comes back from work and there's, there's festivities, there's things going on of which he is supposed to be in charge, of which he is supposed to culturally co-host. So it's, you know, you see the insecurity in religion. He, he cannot just walk in. He has to first find out. You know that? What's going on? I have, I have to be in the know. I have to have the information. I have to have all the knowledge so that when I walk in, I'm not exposed and embarrassed. That's what was going on. And so he asks the servant, what's going on? What's actually happening here? And it was like, <laughs> how dare they? How dare they do something that, in a sense, he should have done without asking him? Because religion creates positional identity. It places identity around positions and titles. I think, personally, it's not in the text, just my personal opinion, and I've studied this in all the, everything. <laughs> a son at peace can just walk in. Hey, everyone, why are we celebrating? What's going on? Has everything got everyone, everything that they need? He's at peace. He's got nothing to prove. Why? Because he trusts the heart of his father. My father wouldn't, I know my father, and I know what, so I trust his heart. It's not a, about my position. And religion clouds that. Family sense, it's gone. Who knows what I'm talking about with this stuff? Yeah. It, and friends, we're not here saying it's not here. Oh boy. I'm here showing you what I think the Bible is. What I think Jesus is trying to 
reveal. I'm constantly bringing the story before my heart saying, God, let us not go that way. Because it's the default setting of the, of the sin nature. It's the default setting of a human to go towards control. The Father doesn't do that. So, the next one I'm going to speak a little bit longer about. Religion, it says he was angry, he did not go in, and his father came out to him. Religion values traditional structure more than those in it. Religion values structure more than the people in it. I didn't say structure wasn't important. For those of you who don't like structure, that's what you heard. No, structure is vital. It's like the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. They forgot that in their religious culture, and man now was made for the Sabbath, where Jesus stretched out and healed a man with a withered hand, and they complained because he was healed on a Sabbath. Are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? When they, when they raised this child, when Jesus prayed for that child on the Sabbath, and I remember when my son got healed, that was such a revelation to me. He got healed of allergies. We prayed for him, fasted, and he was healed. We have doctor's reports. And I was weeping with joy. And I thought of that story where they got mad. I mean, friends, missed the point. If someone had said to me, well, it wasn't done the right way, I probably would have, with all my Christianity, tried not to punch them. I'm like, you're missing the point. My son just got healed. The structure is important, but it exists for them not above them. Religion forgets that. It said he was angry. That word angry is actually the word orgizio. It's one of these multiple words for anger in Greek, but that's one of the more profound ones. It actually means uh, provoked wrath. He was making a scene. It, it wasn't just, hmm, hmm, that's not good. No, no. He was making a scene, I believe. That's what the Greek kind of says. He, he's creating a, a situation here. And that, to do that outside, was culturally to bring shame upon the father. So the first son brought shame to the father. The second son did the same thing. When it says he did not go in, that was culturally, extremely, because that was his position to go in, was to bring a large amount of shame upon his father. He was revealing his displeasure with his father's decision without his permission, and he's the son. It brought massive shame to the father. His father says it, he says he came and pleaded with him and begged with him. That word pleaded or begged, um, entreated, I think the, the, the NASB says, is the word parakaleo, like parakleto, like Holy Spirit, but it's parakaleo, means to call to one side. So his father comes out to a son who's creating a scene, I believe, refusing to go inside, Bible says that, and he has to plead, beg, and call him to the side because tradition was violated and the son couldn't see past it. So he shamed his father. See, friends, the religious expression of this faithful son completely misrepresented the heart of his father. I'll say that again. Religious expression of this faithful son completely misrepresented the heart of his father. I think we do that in church all the time. Faithful sons, faithful religious expression misses sometimes who he actually is. It, 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 we just miss it. 
What does that reveal? I believe it reveals a slave mindset. Thinking like a slave. John 15, 15 says this. It says, I think I wrote it down. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. See, a, a servant doesn't have access to the inner motivation of, of the master, but the implication is that the friend does. And so he may do the same thing, but from a different place. This is why religion is so difficult to diagnose. There's not much to point at that's wrong, but it's just wrong. It's doing everything right in the worst sense of the word. <laughs> he was angry. See, the servant's main goal, I believe, to hold up, to support the structure which provides him with position and value. The better the structure does, the better I do. That's the servant. The friend's main goal is to support the person within or without the structure. It's the person. It's the heart. It's the brother. It's the sister. It's these wonderful people over here to support the person. It says he was angry. Religiosity is angered by grace towards fallen siblings, whereas love celebrates restoration. You know, I have to, can I, I'm going to honor someone just real quick. Tom Dura, and I'm sorry to call you out, I know you don't like it. There's something in your heart, sir, that understands everything I'm talking about. You're a good father. I just want to honor you. <laughs> sorry to make you cry. But the, to see past, to see past. Friends, I've seen so many people get mad when they see someone receive grace. Because, well, they don't deserve grace. Well, exactly. Exactly. In a religious system, there has to be doctrinal agreement before we can, become, before we can come together. That's an institutional mindset. In a family, that doesn't happen. Go visit anybody's family for five minutes. God wanted a family, not an institution. Why do we have to have agreement on everything before we can be together? It's nuts. How did it start? Let us make man in our image, a father and a son talking. And the religious system forgets that. When it says he would not go in, what does it reveal? Who's not free? Who's not free? Him. He ain't free. He may be a son, he may be saved, but he ain't free. He won't even partake in joy and festivity because he's upset because someone violated his position without asking him in his tradition and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's a very doctrinally correct state. Friends, to not be free in the Father's house is tragic. And there are many Christians who come to the Father's house and they're not free. What's the result? It isolates you from joy, which removes your strength. It moved him away from joy and celebration and laughter and family. And now some of us here are exceptionally justice-centered. I'm exceptionally justice-centered. That's why it was so easy for me to become the second son. There must be justice. And so we say, well, that's unfair. Yeah, it is. That is correct. It is unfair. But you know, the Bible says that he was unjustly treated so that we could be justified. That's also unfair. <laughs> That's very unfair. We receive grace, 
upon the merits of another. That's not fair. Yet it was heaven's justice. Because heaven's justice is not betrayed. It seeks out everything it can without denying the integrity of the Father to make restoration. That's why it cost Jesus everything. Am I making sense? So if you're justice wired, that's great. God made you like that. Just remember, it's not justice how earth defines it, but justice how heaven defines it. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. So the religious system values traditional structures more than the people in it. Four, religion makes service a task rather than the delight, makes service the delight of a son. It says, yeah, these many years I've been serving you. You know the Greek there, the New Living Translation, the Aramaic also, uh, but the Greek there talks about the word there, slave. I've been slaving for you, dad. I've been slaving for you. You know, the root word of that, that word, that there, doulas, the root word of the word slave, actually means to bind, to fasten with chains. You know, the first son, when he asked for the inheritance, it was, we've said it was like he was wishing his father dead in that culture. He's saying a similar thing. I'm chained to serve you until you die. So just die. So I can be free. That's what he's saying. All these years I have slaved for you. A son serves because he's part of a unit. A slave serves to prove his worth. If a slave doesn't serve, he can't be a slave. A son serves because he sees that he's a son. And he's part of a family. And he's part of a unit. We're trying to train our, our two children, which are, you know, interesting. And, um, and we say, why do you do chores? Or, you know, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, we're trying to put the mindset in them of a son. Because we love you, that's why, and because we're part of a family, and because you actually have ownership in this estate, it's yours. You know, I, I was reminded when my son was, <laughs> he was, I don't know, three year old, and he was screaming because he wanted a toy, you know. So I'm shutting that whole system down. No, be quiet, I love you, but shh, you know. And he couldn't get over that I wouldn't give him this request. And what struck me in this interaction was he's standing in the house in a sense. It, biblically, it's like we're all, we're all, we were all in Abraham. We were all in Adam. So the Bible thinks different to Westerners. He's standing in a house that belongs to him. And he's freaking out because I won't give him a little plastic toy. You know, there's no understanding of inheritance. I know he's three, obviously. He's, obviously there's not. But I think many believers stay like that. We panic because we're not getting a, a little answer, but we're standing in something far bigger, and it's already ours. It's an interesting way to think. Religion makes service a task. Why? No joy. Joy kind of is a big deal, apparently. Apparently. It's a big deal. A son serves because he's part of a unit. Um, it's interesting, the father says to him later on, son, you are always with me. So how could a son completely miss the heart of the father, even though he was always with him? He says that, son, you're, you've all, you're always with me. Normally, when two people are always together, they start to, you know, understand each other. How could he completely miss the heart of his father, though he was always with him? Because he was physically present, but his heart was not. 
It's kind of like coming to church. You know, we can go to church, we can be physically present, but it doesn't mean we're with Him. That's not a heavy, that's exciting, because it means there's more than this. You don't, God, Jesus didn't die on the cross that you can listen to me talk every week. Heaven help us if that's true. That would be terrible. Yet the preaching of the word, biblical, worship, we love it. But there's so much more than that. It's to be with him. To know him. To love him. To worship him. To just to know him. So, five. I'm going to spend a little while on this one. Oh, I'm not. Wow. I didn't even see the time. I apologize. I'm going to go about another seven minutes. <clears throat> Religion, five, celebrates wage over inheritance. Big deal. Religion celebrates wage over inheritance. He says, I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. <laughs> it's a fascinating statement. And yet you gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. He's saying, I serve and obey and then you give because I've earned. That's what he's saying. I've served and obeyed, then you give because I've earned. Now, to the Jewish men listening, it's a stunning statement. They're saying he was perfectly obedient and he didn't get a reward. Because obedience from fear and obedience from love are two very different things. They're two completely different things. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. Obedience is always important for the believer. I don't have time to qualify that. But I find myself constantly, and sometimes I realize it, constantly, preaching similar stuff to this, like trying to bring people to see how God sees them. Constantly I find myself doing that. Why? And I'll read your scripture why. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 to 13 says this, For we are God's fellow workers, Paul speaking, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. That's not the fire of judgment, by the way, that's just a testing fire. The reason, to give you a little bit of historical context, the reason Rome is still standing today, the reason Rome is is because the buildings were mostly constructed with stone. And they did that because they wanted their legacy, they wanted history to speak of their greatness, which it actually does, because they built with stone. But the funny thing is that it was the slaves who built it. You know that scholars, if you go look at history, they'll say that the slaves that they imported, the slaves in Rome outnumbered the citizens about three to one. Yet, they knew this, they knew what he was talking about in 1 Corinthians 3, yet there are no slave dwellings that have lasted the test of time. Why? Because they built the slave dwellings with wood, hay, and straw. What's Paul saying? Slaves who build for themselves... You know, a person that builds like a slave. I know slaves built for them, but there was no, 
It wasn't for them because they had they attached more value to those people because they weren't slaves. When a slave builds with a slave mindset, it will not last that test. It's wood, hay, and straw. We see here a son. He's busy being busy. Who knows what that's like? Busy being busy. Yet, friends, it's wood, hay, and straw. It's just wood, hay, and straw. There's many in the church that are busy being busy, but it's wood, hay, and straw because it's not coming from the heart and the position of a son. It's coming from a person who thinks like a slave. Are you with me? That's why I'm constantly preaching on this. Not because, because friends, my first desire is that he would have what he paid for. In fullness, what he paid for. But also, because I desperately desire for the world to see a generation of people that rise up that know who their God is. And know who their father is. And know who they are. Mike Bickle says there are two types of people in the body of Christ. Lovers and workers. And lovers will always get more work done than will workers. Always. Why? Because a man in love will go to the ends of the earth. A servant will not. He will weigh it up with the reward. But a man in love, he's an unstoppable force. Now why? I'll end with this. Why did the father not give him a goat? Many reasons you can think of. I believe with all my heart that our father will not... It's like a, I said this last week. It's like a child who's screaming for a popsicle. You don't give him a popsicle. Because you're training them that that's what they do to get that. That's what they do to receive attention. That's what they do to get something. You know? And when this son is like this, being with his father, but not actually knowing him at all, not having his heart, not knowing who he is, to reward that is to reinforce the mentality of a slave in a son. And he's a good father and he won't do that. I've had this question going around in my head for a couple of weeks. How many times have I tied God's hands from actually answering me? from answering prayers or whatever, because it would reinforce an unhealthy identity. That's what I have to do to get. That's what I have to... It's just been a question going around in my heart. See, after all these years of being with his father, he didn't actually know him because he couldn't even comprehend what his father had just done for his brother. He couldn't figure it. How can you do that? Now there's more points, but we won't go into them. I'm just going to read you a few sentences. You can shut it down there, Josh. Where religion is joyless, relationship celebrates joyously with everyone in the house, regardless of their state. That's what a family does. Where religion creates positional identity, relationship values simply being with each other. Above what position you're in. Who knows when you go on vacation as a family, when you do something with your family, and it's just, it's, go, it's, it's good, it's peaceful in the room. You're not sitting there thinking of each other's roles. Well, he's the father and he's the sibling. And why do we do that in the church? 
Where religion values structure above people, relationship remembers why this structure exists. Where religion produces task-oriented slaves, relationship teaches sons to take ownership in their house because it actually belongs to them. Where religion celebrates wage over inheritance, relationship makes inheritance possible simply through birth because you're a son. I'll, I'll leave it there. Friends, I'll carry on next week, apparently. Um, my heart over this series is to set people free. I said seven minutes. It's been seven minutes. Is to see people become free and know who their father is. Genuinely. Remember what his kingdom is like and remember what their father's like because it will set us free and it will bring joy. And that honors him. That honors him. Bless you. Amen.